You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. And I'm going to be reading from the story of Matthew. We don't very often do this here, but I'd love it if we could all stand whilst I just read the story of the resurrection from the book of Matthew. If you've got your Bibles, you can look them up. You can just listen. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. It says, The Resurrection. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Please take a seat. He is risen indeed. Let's be frank, you don't expect people to be jumping up and shouting in the middle of a sermon at church. You don't expect these things to happen. But I guess if we're really honest, nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected to go to the tomb and to find it empty. The disciples are devastated because their Lord and Saviour has died. The women go to pay their respects. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, think we have now got rid of this troublemaker. The Romans know how to kill people. They've killed him. Nobody expected nobody. And yet, Jesus had told them so many times in the Gospel of Matthew that he would rise from the dead. One time he's with the disciples and he says to Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, actually, you're the Messiah. You are the Christ. This is the one they'd been expecting from the Old Testament. In Matthew 16, Jesus then goes on to warn them. He began to explain to his disciples, he must go to Jerusalem suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. 
Jesus kept saying, I will be raised to life. But they'd missed it. Peter and James and John, in the Gospel of Matthew, they've been up on top of the mountain. They've seen Jesus. It's called the Transfiguration. They come down and they say, wow, this is incredible. Moses and Elijah were there. They disappear. And God says, this is my special son. It's Jesus Christ. They go, whoa. As they were coming down from the mountain in Matthew 17, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Nobody expected nobody except Jesus. Jesus does a miracle. We can read that about that in Matthew 17 as well. A boy with a demon. The disciples are encouraged because they can suddenly think Jesus can do the impossible. He sets this boy free. Jesus quickly teaches about his death and resurrection. Matthew 17, verse 22 and 23, he says, The Son of Man, that was one of his titles, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised. Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, the city where he knows he's going to die. He takes his disciples to one side and says, look, I don't want you to be surprised. I want to tell you what is going to happen. We're going up to Jerusalem, he says. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. This is this one account, the book of Matthew. Every time Jesus is saying that I will die, I will come back to life. I will die, I will come back to life. I will die, I will come back to life. Even after it happened, some doubted. Matthew 28, verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. I wonder how you feel today. I wonder if someone said to you, did Jesus rise from the dead? Do you still doubt? Or are you convinced? Is it fake news? If I'd have given you the picture on Instagram, even today, you'd think, oh, someone's just doctored that photograph. You know what I'm saying? It was a different tomb. It was a different place. It was a different graveyard. Or do you think, no, Jesus rose from the dead? If you have questions like Mark, I would encourage you to go along to the Alpha in over 100 languages, in over 100 countries, over 24 million people have done the course. How? What did happen to Jesus? Why did he die? We'd love to invite you to join us. You see, the one thing that I want you to take away from today is this. He is risen. He is risen. Every point of this story, you could just say, yeah, Pete, I've got that. It's verse 6, if you've got your Bible there. He is not here. He has risen. But actually, it's probably in every single verse. It's probably in every single sentence. The two Marys, they're going to the tomb. They want to pay their respect. It was actually a Jewish custom for ladies to go to the tomb for three days to grieve. They wanted to be near Jesus 
have an opportunity to pour out their pain and their grief, maybe for peace and for quiet. They watched him be crucified. They watched him die. They watched him be buried. They're now the first to discover that he's risen. The angels. Angels was not an everyday occurrence. The the only other time that we get angels mentioned actually in the book of Matthew, which is what we're looking at, was when Jesus was born. Something amazing happened. Something supernatural has happened. Jesus is born. There's a whole host of angels. Oh, wow. Tells us that in Matthew 1.20. So we've got the two women that discover. We've got the angels that announce it. The stone was moved away. What I find fascinating is when you stop and look at the passage, it's not moved to let Jesus out. It's moved to let the ladies look in. Oh, the whole reason of the stone being moved, so you can see that the tomb is empty because he's not here, he's risen. If the stone had been left there, I wonder if he's still there. It's almost like the angel said, my job is just to remove that. You can see he's not here. He has gone. He is risen. The irony of the gods. They were there, the soldiers of Rome, to guard a corpse. I mean, it's bizarre, really, isn't it? I mean, let's be frank, where does a corpse go? And yet within the story, they are the ones that become like dead men, and the corpse escapes. He's risen. There's so many details. Even Jesus is described, if you look at the passage, as the one who was crucified. We don't do crucifixion. The Romans stopped about 70 years later. It was considered so barbaric. I was thinking, you know, suppose you talk about the one who's been beheaded. Golly, we know that person's dead. If you talked about the one that had been crucified, you would know that person was dead. In fact, the angels, there's another hint even here. The angels say he's risen from the dead. Everything here was pointing to the fact that Jesus died. I find even the fact that it says the word greetings far too British. I need a few more Middle Eastern in the room to express themselves. This was not just a... Good morning, Jesus saying. There would have been, let's rejoice. Why? Because I was dead and now I'm alive. You think about it. The, the, the day you passed your final exams at university, the day you were given all clear by the doctor, cancer's in remission, the day you suddenly discovered, oh, my baby's born and it's healthy, it's that kind of rejoice. Because I had such tragic news and now there's such good news. Even the detail that they grabbed his feet. Why is that important? Because surely it tells us this was no ghost. This was no vision. Jesus had physically risen from the dead. And so they grabbed his feet. He is risen. A whole new era has begun. There are four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They reflect different people's views of the life of Jesus, but all of them say he is risen. John Stott, he was an English priest, died about 
10 or 15 years ago now, said, we live and die. Christ died and lived. And you suddenly think, oh, have I just got used to this? Nikki and I and my wife just had four days in Dublin. It was great just to get away and relax. On the tour there, I discovered Handel's Messiah was first sung in Dublin. Handel's Messiah, if you know it, the Hallelujah Chorus, if you don't know anything else, you will realize it tells the story, part three, of Jesus' bodily resurrection. It's like he came out the grave. Then they burst into this Hallelujah Chorus. Tradition is you have to stand in the Hallelujah Chorus because when the King of England first heard it, he was so overwhelmed, he stood. And if it's good enough for the King to stand, we should all stand. There was this sort of sense of, whoa, what great news. He is risen. Tom Wright, he was the Bishop of Durham, said, This event has changed the world forever. The three people that are going to be getting baptized will tell us their stories in just a moment. They will say, this event has changed my life. We know that the event of Jesus rising was crucial to the early church. Peter, one of the disciples in the book of Acts, when he's explaining what's happened, says this, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I think that's as good as the poem and deserves an amen and hallelujah, don't you? Yeah, Jesus has risen. That's clearly what he's saying. Peter then goes on, this was in the, just after the Holy Spirit being poured out, he gave that sermon. He then wrote a letter to the church. The church was going through a really difficult time. It was tough. Some of us would have seen the news this morning, even in Sri Lanka, of churches that have been bombed, scores of Christians that have died, deliberately attacked because it's Easter Sunday. Peter would have written to them like he wrote to the church at the time that was struggling. And what was his encouragement? It was this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This Jesus has risen is the central teaching. It's why Easter has got to be the highest day if you are a Christian. Paul. Paul was one of these guys who ended up writing 13 books out of the 27 in the New Testament. He was so convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. He said, this is why I'm saved. It's not because I've been good enough. He'd been like the Jew of Jews. In those days, you had to circumcise on the eighth day. He'd done that. You had to be of a certain tribe. He was in that tribe. You had to sit at the feet of a certain teacher. He had done that. He had tried to do everything he could in his own power, but then came to the point of realizing, I could never do enough for God. The only way I'm good enough is because Jesus died for me. He says in 1 Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. It's only for this life we hope in Christ. 
He's saying, actually, this is central. I believe in him. Otherwise, it's foolish. Watchman Nee, he was a Chinese church leader in the 20th century, says, our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. It's the life-defining moment. I've been married for 27 years. I could look back and think 25th of July, 1992, was a life-defining moment for me. But I guess as a believer, I've got to say it was that day in June, 1977. I know I don't look that old, but just go with me for the story. When I prayed and said, Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. Please forgive me. And I would say, that's when I realized he had died for me. That's why we're going to hear these stories. People getting baptized today, they're not saying, oh, it's about me. They're saying, I'm going to die in the pool and come back to life. Because that really is a picture of what's happened in God. Buried in the grave, Jesus was, but rose again. Paul goes on to say, actually, because of the resurrection, we have hope. 1 Corinthians 15, it's a letter that he writes in the New Testament. More than that, we have found to be false witnesses about God. We have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. If we did not raise him, and the dead are not raised, then we're in trouble. But Christ was raised and therefore we have hope. I don't know if you feel you've got hope today. I don't know if in the uncertainty of Brexit or anything else that's going on in your life, you think, God, I'm not sure I've got hope. I don't know why these people are all singing on a Sunday morning. Our hope is not in Cadbury's chocolate. Our hope is not even in a really nice bank holiday Monday with 27 degree weather that we can just have a barbecue in. Our hope is in the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Josh McDowell, is an American apologist, said this, few people seem to realize that the resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone to a worldview that provides the perspective to all of life. This is what gives us hope. Theresa May came out this morning and said that she wants to stand up or look into the amount of Christians that are persecuted around the world. According to the BBC this morning, they reckon there are 245 million persecuted Christians on the planet today. How do they get hope? Well, they get hope because of the resurrection. You see, the resurrection gives us perspective on life. When the women discovered Jesus risen from the dead, they worshipped him, not revered a teacher, but loved a Lord. We can look at the historical facts, but then we believe it's a foundation for life. Even success at work. The challenge is if we only ever live for success at our job, we're only ever as good as the last set of results. We've got to keep producing more. How do we cope with long-term pain? Unless we know that actually there is hope because of the resurrection. Surely because of the resurrection, we can have perspective about this life, success and pain, knowing that with Jesus we can place and and, and face an eternity. 
The resurrection gives power for life. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when Jesus was dying on the cross, they accused him of not having enough power. They said, look, why don't you save yourself? And yet, actually, we see that the whole story is brimming with power. There's an earthquake. The angel comes. The stone is moved. The Roman army is brushed to one side. He has authority and power, and that is proved by the resurrection. You have power, therefore, to overcome your temper. Power to overcome your addictions. Power to be faithful to your commitments. Power to be bold in life, knowing that death is not the end. You see, if Jesus was resurrected, there is power for us today. The resurrection also gives persuasion. Yeah, I've managed to get all four Ps in here, but this was slightly twisted. Resurrection gives persuasion against trouble and lies. Some of the Christians we know were thrown into prison. They were beaten. They were tortured. They were even killed. Being a Christian is not a crutch for the weak. I've often said to the church, and I say it again, and in fact, there you go, if if any of you get involved in my gravestone, put it on my gravestone. Christianity is not a crutch for the weak, it's a machete for the adventurous. And so actually, it gives you persuasion that though there can be troubles and challenges in life, if you honestly believe Jesus Christ died and rose again, that's going to persuade you when times are tough. People say things about you. Somebody else gets promoted over you. Fourthly, the resurrection gives us purpose for life. You see, we have a compelling purpose for life. Jesus invites people to join him on this radical journey of faith. Sometimes I think that's the biggest challenge for those in their 20s at this time. I've got two children myself in their 20s. One's 23, one's 21. And the the danger is that we tell them you can be anything you want. You know, they go through school. You want to be president, be president. And then they come out of university and they can't get a job. It's called the joy gap. I honestly thought I could do this and now I'm doing this. I thought I could change the world, be paid a six-figure salary. And to be honest, I can't even repay my loan at the moment. What gives you purpose in life? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what gives you purpose. Otherwise, we can get caught up in all all other sorts of things. How much money I've earned, how much success I've made at things. I want to ask you, what is your expectation? When they turned up, nobody expected nobody. There was a lack of faith. In all four accounts of the resurrection, nobody actually sees Jesus rise. It's all a faith step. They look at all the evidence and they say, oh yeah, that that makes sense. That's true for so many other things. But what about you believing that Jesus rose from the dead? When you all stood up to hear the, the word being preached and you all sat down, none of you checked your chairs. It was just an act of faith. 
Will you trust that Jesus rose from the dead? Could you say, oh, I've looked enough at this story. Is your expectation that Jesus is still in the tomb? Or do you believe that he's risen? Now, some would say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, Pete. I believe he's risen. Okay, I've got a question for you as well. Is your expectation that he's still in the church or that he's unleashed on society? Because being a Christian doesn't mean that we just come and he impacts us for an hour on a Sunday. He should impact our every day, Monday through Saturday. I honestly believe Jesus is risen. That's what we celebrate. And so I'm going to ask you to follow the ladies in this story. They were urged to believe he was risen. They were asked to share that he was risen. And they were asked to rejoice in the fact that he was risen. And in many respects, if you ask me, oh, what do I want you to go away from today? I want you to go away believing Jesus is risen. I'm rejoicing in that. And I'd love to share that with other people. Tim Hughes, he's a modern sort of hymn writer, has written this song, Oh Happy Day. The greatest day in history, death is beaten, you have rescued me. Sing it out, Jesus is alive. The empty cross, the empty grave, life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out, Jesus is alive. Oh happy day, happy day, you wash my sin away. Oh happy day, I'll never be the same. Forever I am changed. This is what we believe. I grew up going to a Baptist church when I was a young boy, and on an Easter Sunday, we often used to say, He is risen. The pastor used to say, and everyone used to say back, He is risen indeed. So just for my memory's sake, let's go through it together. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Because we believe that. If you don't believe it, we're glad you're here. We'd love to take you on a journey. We'd love you to come and ask some questions at Alpha. We're actually going to baptize three people now. I'm just going to give a word of explanation. This, um, in my Baptist church, was always in the floor because it was meant to be a grave. It's a picture of the grave. People that going into there probably seems a bit morbid. They're saying, actually, my sin, the thing that has made me feel guilty about myself, spoilt my relationships with others, spoilt my relationship with God. I want to come and say, I'm sorry for that. Please forgive me. That's what it means to be a Christian, to say, literally, I die to myself. The first one, Titus, we've got three special ones today. His parents are going to be baptizing him. They'll be pushing him down. He says, I'm dying to myself. I am now living for him. 